Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What is perishable, he says, must put on the imperishable. What is mortal must put on immortality. Earlier, Paul wrote that if there is no resurrection, if Christ was not raised from death, everything we believe is for nothing. If there is nothing but death and decay, he says, our faith is futile, worthless, and our lives are an unredeemable mess. But even though we die, he says, we shall be raised with Christ from death. This mystery is at the heart of our faith. It is the final mystery, the ultimate mystery. All of this, Paul says, will happen in the twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye. Snap your fingers and it will already have happened. Death will be cheated and mocked, its teeth broken, its sting gone, and we will dance on death's grave. Thanks be to God, Paul declares, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. During this pandemic, I've been doing a lot of reading. Among the books I've read is a history by Robert Leckie of the horrific battles in the Pacific during World War II. Leckie also wrote a memoir, Helmet for My Pillow. In the midst of such carnage, it's hard to imagine death vanquished. Irenaeus, an early Christian writer who spoke without apology, said that in the battle between life and death, between good and evil, we are the battlefield. Our life itself is the battlefield, and the battle is exhausting. One day, Paul says, the battle will finally be over. But in the meantime, Christ has already won the war through his death and resurrection. Doesn't feel like it, does it? In real time, we still look for deliverance from death and the end is not in sight. Psalm 30 is the prayer of one who has prevailed in battle. It begins, I will extol you, I will praise you, O Lord, because you have lifted me up, you have drawn me up. Words of restoration, recovery, even resurrection. You have not let my foes destroy me, mock me, humiliate me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help out of the depths, and you heard me, you healed me, you rescued me from the grave, restored me to life from those gone down to the pit. The pit is that place where you find yourself with no options, with no way out, hemmed in on all sides with little hope. When you are in the pit, time stops. It seems that it will never end. Psalm 30 is a psalm I read from the inside out, not from the outside in. Roger Ebert said, you know you're watching a good movie if in the first few minutes you forget you're watching a movie. You are no longer on the outside looking in. 
with the characters, you're on the inside looking out. That describes this psalm for me. I read Psalm 30 through my own experience of clinical depression and my deliverance from darkness. Psalm 30 is not just a memory of deliverance past, but a hope for deliverance to come. Used to be, if you were a pastor, you kept such things hidden. You never could acknowledge that you struggled existentially with dark thoughts. You could never admit that sometimes you felt helpless and hopeless because pastors were supposed to stay on the pedestal people placed them on. You had to be a pillar of faith, not just good and true, but too good to be true. It was unbearable. So you pretend that you are fine while on the inside you are dying a slow death. Ministry can be a roller coaster ride of euphoric adrenaline that carries you up to the top and then leaves you to plunge screaming all the way to the bottom. I've been on lots of roller coaster rides in my years of ministry and I always rode alone. But then a friend climbed into the car with me. He had ridden the same roller coaster before me. He saw in me things I couldn't or wouldn't see in myself. He saw that something was squeezing the life and hope out of me. He told me his own story. Turns out we had both asked the same question as the psalmist. What good is it if I go down to the pit, if I make my bed in the grave? Will the dust praise you? In the movie Ordinary People, the main character, a high school student named Conrad, finally tells his psychiatrist about his depression. First, he said, I fell into a hole. Then I couldn't get out of the hole. And then I became the hole. You feel nothing. It's not a matter of faith. It's about losing hope. My friend told me about a doctor he knew, gave me a referral. I walked into that doctor's office and I sat down. So, he said with a smile, tell me why you're here. I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm tired, I'm afraid, and I'm hopeless, I told him. He sat back in his chair and took a deep breath. Well, he said, you've just identified the five primary markers of a clinical depression, and we can help you. He talked about how the brain worked physically, chemically, told me that when the brain is depleted of what it needs to function, hope is devoured, along with the strength just to get through each day. You can't believe yourself out of this, he told me. Think of your brain as an overdrawn account. You've withdrawn all your resources and you're going deeper into emotional debt. Can't pull yourself out of it. He prescribed medication that stopped 
the emotional hemorrhaging. And over time, by little and by little, I began to feel like me again. After a few weeks, Marilyn took me into her arms and told me, it feels like you've been on a long journey and have finally come home. Then came therapy with a clinical psychologist who was also a Lutheran pastor. He himself had ridden the roller coaster. Together, we looked into the dark places. We reframed the story. One day, I started down the path of regret. I tried to relive the past few years all over again with a different outcome. He stopped me. It didn't work for you, he said. What? I asked. It didn't work for you. It didn't work for me? No, it didn't work for you. Doesn't mean it won't work for you somewhere else. Just means it didn't work for you here. Is that okay? I sat back, took a deep breath. It didn't work for me, I said. The weight of the past lifted from my shoulders. As I have told you so many times before, what was does not have to determine what will be. And therein, you will find a little bit of resurrection. Sometimes God answers your prayers with a good psychiatrist and a good therapist. Weeping may linger for the night, the psalmist says, but joy comes with the morning. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. In the middle of Psalm 30 are two verses, verses 6 and 7, we did not read this morning. In them, the psalmist looks back and sees, in hindsight, his own blindness, his arrogance, his smug certainty that his life was his to do with whatever he wanted. Life was good with no end in sight. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall not be moved. I can do whatever I want. I can do it with no worries and no consequences. You, O Lord, the psalmist says, had established me as a strong mountain. I began to believe that nothing could bring me down. Forty years ago, on a quiet, beautiful Sunday morning, Mount St. Helens blew up. A strong mountain exploded and collapsed, its insides blown outside, destroying everything in its path. And the words of Psalm 46 became frighteningly real. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. I came to First Covenant Church that morning, a clear, beautiful morning, oblivious of the nightmare unfolding south of Seattle, sending darkness across the mountains. I saw my friend Bob Edlin. Did you hear it? He asked. 
Hear what? Mount St. Helens blew up. He was outside walking and he heard the distant concussion. What was once a beautiful mountain reflected in a pristine lake was now a gaping hole unleashing hell. There was a crusty old man named Harry Truman, not the Harry Truman, another Harry Truman, who owned a lodge on Spirit Lake. He was warned of the danger, told to leave, but he scoffed. It's gonna go away. This isn't gonna happen. It'll blow off a little steam, he said. Get a little mud flow down the mountain. I'm not afraid of that thing and I'm not leaving. Truman held his own liberty protest. That morning, in a few moments, Harry Truman and Spirit Lake Lodge disappeared without a trace. Pride comes before a fall, we read in Proverbs. It also comes before an eruption and a pandemic. We would like to think that we control our own destiny, that we alone control the outcome. And when the ground shakes under our feet or deep within our psyche or within our most intimate relationships, we can pretend that nothing is wrong, we can live in denial, or we can acknowledge our need of God and each other. You hid your face, the psalmist says. I was discouraged. To you, O Lord, I cried out. Deliverance begins with acknowledging reality. It begins with a cry for help. It begins with swallowing our pride. It begins with letting go releasing our grip on our life and finding, ironically, that in losing what we thought was our life, our life is finally being given to us, maybe for the first time. It is trusting God through the turmoil, remembering that though weeping may linger through the night, joy comes with the morning. Remembering that we are not alone, that God will take us through, Faith is about trusting, not pretending. It is rooted in reality, not denial. It is trusting from the inside out, not the outside in. These are difficult days for flesh and blood. Our mortality is ever before us, but flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. God is with us. God will take us through life and death to resurrection. Trust God, take care of each other, and remind each other no matter how dark it gets, weeping may linger through the night, but joy comes with the morning. You are not alone. We will get there together, one little resurrection at a time. Amen.